Today on the Matt Walsh Show, Roe is no more. In one of the greatest moments in American history, the Supreme Court decision which codified the right to murder babies has been finally and officially overturned. I'll have a lot to say about that today, as you can imagine. Also, the left continues to panic over the other great Supreme Court decision decided yesterday, this one affirming our right to carry firearms. Many very bad arguments have been made against that decision. We'll review some of them today. Meanwhile, Eric Adams in New York says that he will ignore the Supreme Court's decision and work to undo it. Is this an insurrection we're dealing with? Plus, Joe Biden accidentally shows off a note from his staff that shows just how bad his dementia has gotten. And Kamala Harris humiliates herself while trying to play basketball. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, today is uh, just a wonderful day, first of all. And it's so good that I even, I dressed, I'm not dressed like a slob for the first time on the air. That's how, that's how important today is. Um, it's been nearly 50 years since Roe v. Wade was decided. For half a century, we've lived under its tyranny. Those of us who were lucky enough to live at all, that is, actually, uh, you know, because 60 million of us did not live. Over 60 million human children have been wiped off the face of the earth during that time, executed one by one, systematically, for profit, all because nine guys in robes pulled out their decoder rings from their Cracker Jack boxes and found the right to abortion written in, in invisible ink somewhere in the document. And that was enough justification to legalize the destruction of innocent human life all across the country for almost half a century. It's impossible to know what our society deprived itself of, what it sacrificed, aside from its soul. Could one of the babies we killed have come up with a cure for cancer? Could there have been Great leaders and artists and thinkers and humanitarians somewhere in that pile of bodies. Almost certainly there were. How many inventors and pioneers were thrown into the mass grave before they even had a chance to speak, to plead for themselves, to tell their side of the story? We'll never know for sure because Roe robbed us of that, just as it robbed 60 million children of their lives and of their potential. Until today. As expected for the last month and prayed for and fought for and worked towards for the last five decades by pro-lifers, Roe was officially overturned by the Supreme Court decision today. Uh, a, decision, a decision originally leaked a few weeks ago in a desperate bid to intimidate at least one of the justices into changing their minds. The gambit did not pay off. Indeed, it probably backfired as Roberts joined, Chief Justice Roberts joined the majority decision overturning Roe, something he almost certainly was not planning to do until the decision leaked. And so it stands. It stands even stronger, arguably, than it did in its leaked form. And the result is that Roe is no more. Praise God. This is truly, I mean truly, one of the greatest days in American history. Future generations will look back on this day. You are living in a day right now. You are experiencing a day that will be in the history books and that future generations will look back on. And they will look back on it the way that, they, that we now look back on the abolition of slavery or the defeat of the Germans in World War II, the liberation of the concentration camps. They will look back on it in the exact same way. Because there's a lot of gray area in life. There's many occasions where the good guys aren't very distinguishable from the bad guys. But this, this belongs to the other category of events. This is the category where the line between good and evil could not be more clear. One side has fought to protect babies from extermination. And they have fought this and fought for this for the sake of those babies, of those children. You know, we pro-lifers, we stand to gain nothing personally from the end of Roe. We don't profit off of it in any way at all. There's nothing self-serving about it. We fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. 
And this is really hard for the left to understand because they never do this. Everything they fight for, it's always for themselves. Always. If they cannot directly profit from it in some kind of way, they do not fight for it and they do not care. Which is why they could never understand us. They never understood us as pro-lifers. They're always looking for what's really going on here. What's going on below the surface? What's the nefarious plan? What's that? They're trying to control women's bodies. They have a secret conspiracy. It's none of that. We just don't think you should kill babies. Simple as that. We care about those babies. The other side, they fight to destroy innocent life. And they fight for it for their own sake, for their own convenience, for their own precious lifestyle and comfort. They're the bad guys. History will see them as the bad guys. We'll see them that way. We'll look back on them with scorn. And you should know that also. If you're on the left and today you're very upset and you're screaming and crying about it, that all of history will look back at you and, and with scorn and mockery and derision. As well they should. Because you lose. You lose big today. You lose historically. And look, they're going to explode in demonic rage. They're going to protest and riot. They will destroy and probably kill to satiate their bloodlust. But none of that will change anything. And all of it will be worth it in the end. Let these psychopaths burn every city to the ground. I will still thank God that Roe is no more. Now, I don't think they're actually going to follow through on a lot of this stuff. I think a lot of it is just uh, big talk. I think, I think that the pro-abortion militants are hoping hoping and, and uh, praying to Satan that, that we'll have you know, the BLM riots of 2020 all over again, that we'll have months and months of chaos and rioting in the street. That's what they're hoping for. That's what they're trying to organize. I don't think it's actually going to happen. Because I don't think that there are enough people, and maybe I'll be proven wrong about this, I don't think there are enough people who care that much about killing babies to uh, generate the kind of mass nationwide chaos that the left is hoping for here. We'll see. Now, this does not end the scourge of abortion. We should note that. Uh, it may come as a shock to many of the pro-abortion demons convulsing in the street and vomiting all over themselves like Linda Blair and the Exorcist. But in fact, abortion will remain legal in many U.S. states, including our most populous states. In fact, nearly every pro-abortion militant now promising a night of rage as revenge actually lives in a place where their so-called right to abortion, quote-unquote, will remain intact. Actually, I expect that uh, the remaining abortion states will double and triple down, consoling themselves by making abortion even more accessible, even more legal, even more easy to obtain. I'm, I'm putting my marker down right here. I don't think this year will come to a close before at least one state officially legalizes infanticide, expanding abortion rights into the first several months of a child's life outside the womb. That's on the way. And yet, even so, this decision today will nonetheless directly save millions of lives. There is no question about that. It is not every day that something like this happens, that there's an event in history that happens and we live through it. And because of that event, millions of people will live who otherwise would have died. I mean, the, the course of history has been changed in ways that uh, we cannot possibly tabulate or quantify. and We never will be able to. It's important also to note something else, that this decision made by the court is not just morally right, though it is, of course, morally right, manifestly and self-evidently so. It's also the right legal decision, because even if somehow you have no moral qualms with the dismemberment of children, 
you must, if you're honest and understand the way the law is supposed to work, you must agree that Roe was bad law, bad precedent, a bad decision built on a foundation so flimsy that to call it merely flimsy probably does it a favor. I want to read a little bit from the decision itself um, today. It says, quote, Without any grounding in the constitutional text, history, or precedent, Roe imposed on the entire country a detailed set of rules for pregnancy divided into trimesters, much like those that one might expect to find in a statute or regulation. Roe's failure even to note the overwhelming consensus of state laws in effect in 1868 is striking. And what it said about the common law was simply wrong. Then, after surveying history, the opinion spent many paragraphs conducting the sort of fact-finding that might be undertaken by a legislative committee and did not explain why the sources on which it relies shed light on the meaning of the Constitution. As to precedent, citing a broad array of cases, the court found support for a constitutional right of personal privacy. But Roe conflated the right to shield information from disclosure and the right to make and implement personal decisions without governmental interference. None of these decisions involved what is distinctive about abortion, its effect on what Roe termed potential life. When the court summarized the basis for the scheme it imposed on the country, it asserted that its rules were consistent with, among other things, the relative weight of the respective interests involved and the demands of the profound problems of the present day. These are precisely the sort of considerations that legislative bodies often take into account when they draw lines that accommodate competing interests. The scheme produced looked like legislation, and the court provided the sort of explanation that might be expected from a legislative body. Okay, now, the entire decision is uh, very much worth reading, but that passage alone summarizes, I think, a central element of the majority's decision. Basically, to translate the decision to affirm a constitutional right to abortion, quote-unquote, was not grounded in the text of the Constitution, because it's not in the text of the Constitution, It wasn't even grounded in precedent or historical tradition. It had no grounding at all aside from the claims and preferences of the justices who decided it. What they came up with then was not a legal decision rigorously argued, but a kind of pseudo-legislation that looks and sounds and functions like something that a legislative committee might come up with. And that's reason enough to overturn it, no matter how you feel about abortion. And you can really see the contrast between Roe itself, that decision, and the decision abolishing it today. The latter, the decision abolishing it, is thorough, logical, deeply argued, while the former is, it was, now we say, was shallow, often absurd, full of subjective assertions, and it danced around and avoided the fundamental question, which of course is what we always find on the left. They could never take any issue head on. They can never talk about it directly. Everything is covered in euphemism. Everything is just a a game of beating around the bush. Because here is the most fundamental question that all pro-abortion people everywhere avoid. It's the question that the rioters in the street tonight, while they're looting and burning, will have no answer to and probably haven't even thought about. And that is this. What is a person? We know they can't tell us what a woman is which won't stop them from claiming that today represents a grave assault on women's rights. But that confusion is not surprising since they, long before, gave up on the definition of the word person. I mean, before they gave up on the definition of the word woman, the word woman uh, they'd given up on the definition of the word person, which means that we had already become these kinds of uh, sort of vague, hazy, ambiguous, um, undefinable, undefined 
lumps of, of matter. You know, that's, that's what a person is now. It's like nothing at all. And of course, if that's the case, then any other label you put on the person also doesn't really make any sense because we don't know, we don't know anything about the underlying person. For 50 years, they claimed that the question is irrelevant. They said, well, nobody knows what a person is. It's impossible to say, so let's just keep killing these babies just in case. But any morally sane person realizes that it should go the other way. If you can't tell me what a person is, then you can't say for certain that the child in the womb is not one, which means even by your own logic, you should refrain from killing him. If you point a gun at somebody, not knowing if it's loaded or not, and you pull the trigger, you're still legally liable if it turns out there was a bullet in the chamber after all. Unless your name is Alec Baldwin, of course. The same goes for abortion. By the pro abort's own telling, they exterminated 60 million human children who might have been people for all they know. That's not any better than exterminating 60 million human children who you know are people. Especially in this case. Because, in fact, everyone knows that babies are people even if they pretend to be confused about it. Everyone knows it. A person is a human being. The child in the womb cannot be anything other than a member of the human species, which which means he cannot be anything other than a person. These are people. They have been killing people, millions of them, and they know it. And they'll answer to God for what they've done. But today... We celebrate their defeat. There's a lot of work yet to be done. You know, the battle is uh, just beginning in many ways. But it's, I think it's very important to celebrate the victories when they come. And this is a victory. I mean, this is a major one. This is one of the greatest victories for human rights in the history of the world. I think I would even say per- perhaps the greatest victory for human rights in the history of the world. And it's one that I thought I would never live to see. In summation, what a great way to end Pride Month. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, the other, I mean, the other, well, I say the other great thing about this, there's so many great things. I'm just elated by it. Um, but, you know, who do we have to thank for what, for, for this today, for the results? Um, well, we thank the, the uh, six members of the Supreme Court who decided correctly on this. Well, Roberts was kind of, you know, he, he, he tried to thread a, a needle um, from what I saw in, um, in his opinion on this. He tried to thread a needle where he would still, you know, preserve Roe while at the same time, you know, it's just this kind of compromise that makes no sense. But who do we have to thank? Um, the members of the Supreme Court who made this heroic decision, it truly is heroic. I mean, keep in mind, Brett Kavanaugh, and I, I don't like everything Brett Kavanaugh has done and all the decisions that he's made since, he's, since he uh, was uh, confirmed and, and um, sworn into the Supreme Court. But this is, this is an act of real courage. Because keep in mind, Brett Kavanaugh, there was a, guy, there was a nutcase at his house with a gun and like zip ties ready to kidnap and murder him. And, and he knows they're not going to stop after this. So they have put their lives on the line. These are real heroes. And no matter what else happens, and I'm sure in the future there'll, have, they'll have, there'll be plenty of other decisions where I disagree with where some of these people fall. 
Clarence Thomas, probably not. I don't think I've ever disagreed with any decision he's made. But um, some of the other ones, I don't, but because of this moment right here, they are heroes forever. They, they, have, they have secured that for themselves for all time. So we have them to thank. Um, we have Donald Trump to thank for, uh, for uh, nominating these justices, these three justices in the first place. Now, that's the fact of the matter. If Donald Trump had not won in 2016, if, if, uh, if Hillary Clinton had won, then um, Roe v. Wade would be affirmed, obviously. Uh, the Second Amendment would be gone. It would just be gone by now and so much else. So we have anything. Not just, not just Donald Trump, by the way. Um, also Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans who, uh, for one thing, held the line, refused to confirm Merrick Garland. And uh, even though I don't like Mitch McConnell and he did just sell us out on the gun control issue, still, you have them to think as well. But even before that, most of all, um, the, the, the pro-lifers who have been in the trenches on this thing, fighting for this for, for decades, I mean, have given their lives to this. And um, I, have, I have had the pleasure of knowing many pro-lifers like that, um, having been in the movement myself. And I can tell you, there are people that have just, for the last 50 years, there are people that were, they were around when this happened, when this decision was made. And they said to themselves, then, I'm giving my life to this fight. This is, this is my life. And they, and they gave their life to it. And they primarily are the ones who achieved this victory. But then also, I think we also have to give an honorable mention, maybe even better, more than an honorable mention, to Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, RBG. If it was not for RBG, uh, RBG's um, hubris, her narcissistic decision to not retire, I mean, clinging on to her, to the honorific, clinging on to the position and the power for as long as she could until she passed away. If she hadn't done that, you know, if she had been a little bit less narcissistic, a little bit had less hubris, less arrogance, then she would have retired and, um, and her replacement would have been appointed by a Democrat. But she didn't. And so really we have, in, in many ways, she's one of the people who we can thank for this. Thank you, RBG. All right. Um, now we move on to some of the reaction from the left. And there's going to be a lot more over the weekend. And they're, as I said, they're pl- promising their night of rage and their rioting and looting. We'll see how much of that they actually get. Um, we'll see how it goes. We'll start with Nancy Pelosi, who uh, mere minutes after this decision came down, she was in front of the press, and she is very, very upset about this. And let's go through and just watch uh, some of these clips. Go ahead. There's no point in saying good morning, because it certainly is not one. This morning, the radical Supreme Court is eviscerating Americans' rights and endangering their health and safety. But the Congress will continue to act uh, to overcome this extremism and, pro- extremism and protect the American people. Today, the Republican-controlled Supreme Court has achieved their dark, extreme goal of ripping away a woman's right to make their own dis- reproductive health decisions. Because of Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and the Republican Party, their supermajority in the Supreme Court, American women today have less freedom than their mothers. Um, well, uh, I mean, where do you, where do you even begin there? She says that Americans have, uh, or girls have less freedoms than their mothers. Well, that's that's um, you know, here's a freedom that many Americans have, which they did not have before this morning, and that is the freedom to be born, 
to live in the first place because your so-called reproductive rights, um, you cannot enjoy those if you don't live in the first place. And here's the good news, uh, Nancy Pelosi. Your reproductive freedom and your reproductive rights are still intact. You still have those absolutely 100%. And as I've said many times, I am when it comes to protecting reproductive rights, uh, I, I am right there with you. I mean, I absolutely believe that people should be free to reproduce when and how they so they, they choose. Okay? Nobody should be forced to reproduce. Absolutely. The good thing is that um, we all agree on that. You know, there's 330 million people in America. With, uh, there's 300 million people, 330 million people who agree. Unanimous agreement. Supreme Court agrees. Nobody should be forced to reproduce. The issue, as I'm constantly having to remind the left, is that when a baby is aborted, that's not a matter of preventing reproduction because the reproduction has already happened. Okay? The the baby has been produced. If the baby had not been produced, then there'd be no need for an abortion. Okay? Once conception occurs, that is reproduction right there. That is the reproductive act. That is reproduction right there. A, A... a distinct separate entity, a distinct separate being with its, with its own DNA, with its own identity, has come into formation in that moment, and that's when reproduction happens. So, the right to, uh, to re- your reproductive rights, that really comes down to you deciding um, when and how you will, in, and, and, and with whom you will engage in the reproductive act. And as far as that goes, we all, we all agree. The reproductive, re, the reproductive act being not, not giving birth, that's not the reproductive act. The reproductive act is the sexual act. It's having sex. That's the reproductive act. Um, so Nancy Pelosi is very, very distraught and upset. This is, a, this is an, an old woman near the end of, of her days, you know, more than likely, statistically. That's, that's, you know, she's in her 80s. And here she is practically weeping over the thought that more babies will be allowed to live. And I can never get over that, especially with these old, crusty uh, feminists. Grandmother aged. Like every grandmother I've ever known, they love babies. The idea of a grandmother, my own grandmother, weeping because, more ba- because babies will not be killed, it's just it's difficult to make sense of that. It's hard, hard to make it all compute. But this is what we're dealing with. Uh, from there, Pelosi starts talking about the sinister and dastardly Republican agenda. Let's listen to that. In the Congress, be aware of this. The Republicans are plotting a nationwide abortion ban. They cannot be allowed to have a majority in the Congress to do that. But that's their goal. And if you read, and again, we're all studying all this, but if you read what is in the very clear, one of the justices had his own statement. It's about contraception, in vitro fertilization, family planning. That is all what will spring from their decision that they made today. Did her glass eye just fall out of her head at the end of that? Uh, I don't know what that was. That was was an unexpected treat at the end there. 
Oh, that was her earring that fell out. Okay. We'll just go with glass eye. I think that was her glass eye. She's just, Nancy Pelosi is physically falling apart. It's like the Wicked Witch, right? She's, she's, she's melt. Someone should throw some uh, water on her and she would just melt right there on stage. This old, disgusting witch. Um, and she's, oh, now they're going to come over after. Com- now, what she's, what she's referring to is, um, and I haven't read the entire thing myself, but a concurrent decision um, or opinion by uh, Clarence Thomas where he talks about um, some of the Supreme Court decisions related to contraception and gay marriage and um, how we have to take a look at the basis of those decisions. And that's, and if, if, if they are decided, if, they, if those were decided on a faulty basis, then yeah, that's something that the court should rectify. Um, but what we're talking about today is very, very fundamentally just the right to life. And that's all that this decision affects. doesn't go beyond that. Next, I want to play just one more clip from her. She says that um, she starts talking about something, a point that she can't make anymore, but, but these people keep making it anyway. She says that this is, a, this is an insult and a, an attack on women. Go ahead. What this means to women is such an insult. It's a slap in the face to women about using their own judgment to make their own decisions about their reproductive freedom. And again, it goes well. I always have said the termination of a pregnancy is just their opening act. It's just their front game. But because, but behind it, behind it and for years, I have seen in this Congress opposition to any family planning, domestic or global, when we have had those discussions and those debates and those votes on the floor of the House. This is deadly serious, but we are not going to let this pass. A woman's right to choose reproductive freedom is on the ballot in November. Okay, at least she got her eyeball back in her head. Um, that's uh, it's an insult to women. Now, obviously, that, that's a point you can't make because you don't know what a woman is in the first place. So how can you say that it's insulting a group of people that you cannot define? But also, um, I, I can talk about it. See, that's the advantage that I have and that people on the pro-life side, that's the advantage that we have is that um, we know what women are, so we can actually talk about them. And so what I can say is that it's an insult to women to say that it's an insult to women um, that w- when, we, when we simply protect the lives of children and say that you can't kill children. Like the, the idea that... Um, it's crucial to a woman's life. It's crucial to her existence, to her success and happiness, that she be able to kill her children. I can't think of anything more insulting and degrading to women than that idea. That is what insults women. And we're going to hear a lot of this too, by the way. We're going to hear a lot about the uh, how women, you know, they're not going to be able to be successful anymore. They're, it's going to... They're not going to have the, the happiness and fulfillment in life anymore because that's how the left views women. That's how many women on the left view themselves. As sick as that is. That a woman's, the way they see it, that a woman's happiness and fulfillment uh, and very existence hinges on destruction. It hinges on the right to destroy and not just destroy anybody, but destroy her own children. Now, we as pro-lifers know that it's the, the exact opposite is the case. That um, 
that happiness and fulfillment can be found for a woman in that relationship with her child. This is a, this is a fulfilling relationship, just as it is for a man with his child. Um, Stacey Abrams also had a little bit of uh, something to say here. I haven't, I haven't watched this video yet, but she's, uh, of course, chiming in right away and, and is quite upset about all this. And for some reason, we care what Stacey Abrams has to say, so let's play a little bit of this. Today, the United States Supreme Court the seat of justice charged with protecting our liberties struck down reproductive rights. In 1973, the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade safeguarded the right to choose for millions of women across Georgia and around our nation. Rather than uphold the wisdom of nearly 50 years, women today lost the right to make our own healthcare decisions and the right to shape our own futures. Yeah, As that's a woman, not true. Okay, Stacy. Uh, no, you can absolutely make your own. That, that's, that's the great thing is that uh, you can absolutely make your own health care decisions. Not that these people actually care about being able to make your own health care decisions or they just they just decided that they cared about that again right now. But for the last two years, of course, they've been they've been demanding that whether you want to or not, um, here's a needle injected into your body. Object this this, uh, you know, here's a, here's a substance you need to object in, inject into your body. And uh, then come back and do it again and again and again. But you don't have a right there. So there's a healthcare decision that uh, that's that's not about you. You just have to do it because we're telling you to do it. But the great thing is that this has nothing to do with the healthcare decisions by women because uh, an abortion is not a healthcare decision. It's got nothing to do with health, and it's certainly got nothing to do with care. Abortion is the intention, the intentional direct destruction of human life, which is that's not just not healthcare. That's the opposite of healthcare. Meanwhile, AOC, she uh, made her way to the out right outside the Supreme Court and is now looking to stage her own insurrection. So here she is. We'll play this. Uh, she's outside with some protesters chanting that this Roe v. Wade decision is illegitimate and she's calling for people to go into the streets. So let's uh, play that. Uh, so the decision is illegitimate. So this is what you notice, and we've we've seen this also on the left today that um, there I mean, there's people now calling for the Supreme Court to be. I think it was Keith Olbermann yesterday, I believe, uh, or someone just as stupid as him, calling for the Supreme Court to be abolished. They want to get rid of it entirely, and now she's saying that the, that the decision is illegitimate. So she's calling into question this decision made by the Supreme Court, uh, which to me seems an awful lot like an insurrection. She's calling it into question. She is um, eroding, intentionally trying to erode the faith that people have in our system by saying that, how is it illegitimate? I know you don't like the decision. I know you disagree with it. But in order for it to be illegitimate, there would have to be something. You know what would have been illegitimate? What would have been illegitimate is if the person who leaked the decision had gotten their way and their, and their plan had worked, and through intimidation, through violent intimidation and harassment, had convinced some of the justices not to um, sign on to this, uh, to this majority opinion after all, that would be illegitimate. But when you have justices who are looking at the case, 
and making a decision based on what seems right to them, according to how they interpret the Constitution, that's a legitimate decision. You might not like it. It's legitimate. Um, But on the left, something is illegitimate if they don't like it, and institutions are broken the moment the institution fails to do the bidding of the left. That's what they mean when, it, when they say that, it, that something is broken. So the Supreme Court is broken now because it failed to do exactly what they want it to do. And now she's calling for them to go into the street, knowing what that means, right? I mean, knowing that we've got pro-abortion militant groups that have openly, very clearly been uh, not just threatening, but promising to commit violent acts against churches and pregnancy centers. Which, by the way, I mean, how, how much of a, a demon do you have to be to attack pregnancy centers in the first place? Churches and pregnancy centers? Uh, you might as well go after orphanages next, which maybe they will. A pregnancy center, all they do is they, they help women who, are, who, have, who need help, who are pregnant and need help. That's what they do. That's their, that's their sinister plot. And we've got pro-abortion militants uh, threatening to, and have already attempted to in many cases, burn these facilities to the ground. And uh, now AOC is saying, uh, go into the streets. So she knows that she's encouraging that and she's doing it quite intentionally. All right. Before we move on here, I want to, there was a, there's another great Supreme Court decision yesterday. This has just been, this has been a fantastic week. This has been a great, this has been my favorite Pride Month by far. Uh, it's just, this is one that's going to live forever in my, in my heart personally, Pride Month of 2022. So yesterday, the Supreme Court upheld the Second Amendment and thus overturned a law in New York requiring that law-abiding citizens get special permission to conceal carry a firearm. And of course, the left has already been panicking over that. Now we're going to add this into the mix and it's just going to be a whole explosion. But I want to play um, a couple of the reactions, especially from Democrat leaders of the state. So we'll start with um, Kathy Hochul, who says that, you know, this isn't, this is, uh, the, the Second Amendment really just refers to muskets and that's all it refers to. And that's what she claims here. Listen. They were supposed to go back to what was in place since 1788 when the Constitution of the United States of America was ratified. And I would like to point out to the Supreme Court justices that the only weapons at the time were muskets. I'm prepared to go back to muskets. Oh, yeah, the the only weapons were muskets at the time. And so obviously when our founding fathers said that the right to keep and bear arms should not be infringed, they only meant the arms, the type of firearms that existed in that moment in time. Because they didn't know that technology changes and that uh, they weren't aware of that. And so they figured that um, the type of firearms that existed back then, that that's all there would ever be. And if only they had known that technology would continue to improve in advance, then they would have said, forget this whole Second Amendment deal. I mean, that's what she's claiming. Yeah, you're right, Kathy, that the founders didn't have modern guns. You know what else they didn't have? Um, abortion clinics. Those didn't exist. Um, they didn't have gay marriage. They didn't have transgenderism. So, I mean, none, none of those rights exist either, according to you. Meanwhile, Eric Adams, for his part, is pledging to, I'm not even sure exactly what this means or if he knows what it means, but he's pledging to, as mayor of the city, undo the ruling. Listen. The opinion claims to be based on nation historical past, but does not account for the reality of today. 
It ignores the present and it endangers our future. While nothing changes today, and we want to be clear on that, nothing changes today. We have been preparing for this decision and will continue to do everything possible to work with our federal, state, and local partners to protect our city. We will collaborate with other mayors, municipality leaders, and governors, and will leave no unturned stone as we seek to undo and mitigate the damage that we are witnessing today. Undo and mitigate the damage, and by that he means the Supreme Court ruling, so he wants to undo and mitigate. He's, he's openly saying that he's not going to abide by it. This is the law. He's not going to abide by it, and he's going to try to undo it. So another example of uh, this, this is actual insurrection being carried out by the mayor of New York City. Uh, one other thing on guns. This is, a, as usual, a smart take from uh, Jill Filopovich, who's a writer, feminist writer. And she, and we're seeing a lot of this kind of thing. She says, the kind of people who desperately want to carry concealed weapons in public based on a generalized interest in self-defense are precisely the kind of paranoid, insecure, violence-fetishizing people who should not be able to carry concealed weapons in public in the first place. Um, Now, the great thing about this claim from her is that it could not be more wrong. Once again, it's the opposite of the truth. Concealed carry permit holders commit almost none of the violent crime. A very, very small percentage of the violence committed in this country every day is is done at the hands of concealed carry permit holders. And it's so small that on the left, when they try to tabulate the statistics to tell us um, how much violence, gun violence is actually committed by people who have legal concealed carry firearms, um, oftentimes they're going to throw things like suicide into the mix there which is tragic and terrible, but that's not exactly what you, what, what you usually have in mind when you talk about gun violence. Um, but when you, when you look at it more honestly, what you find is that, a, again, a very, very small percentage, less than 1%, it's something like 0.7% of gun violence is carried out by people with, with legal concealed carry firearms. Um, and that doesn't even take into account all the lives that they save. So this is just totally false. Um, it, it, the statistics show you that you are, the more people who are legally carrying firearms in your town where you live, the safer you are. That's what the statistics clearly shows. All right, we got to move on. Um, I'm just having so much fun with all this. This is, a, I don't know, it's just a great day. I, here, here's one thing, a little bit, on a little bit of a lighter note. So we go, we go back to the Biden administration. First of all, Biden had a meeting with um, union and private sector leaders at the White House yesterday. Maybe you've seen this, but I have to mention it anyway. He, he inadvertently flashed a card to the camera um, showing very specific instructions that the staff had given him. And you can kind of see when you, when you zoom in, you can see what the instructions are. So they say, you enter the Roosevelt Room and say hello to participants. You take your seat. And I love how it's capitalized, you and your. So like take your, your seat, not anybody else's. Don't take somebody else's seat. Don't like take another person's seat and throw it out the window. Just take, take your seat. Press enters. Uh, you give brief comments. Minutes. As opposed to hours. Press departs. You ask Liz Schuler, AFL-CIO president, a question. Note, Liz is joining virtually. You thank participants. You depart. 
Apparently, it should have also said, you don't show this card to the camera. Uh, maybe they should have added that note in there, too. Uh, here's the thing. I, I have I have an assistant, and she makes uh, itineraries for me, and, and they can be pretty specific sometimes. But So I know a little bit about this, but they're not this specific. Okay, because an itinerary is like, okay, uh, you go to this place at this time, then uh, then you go to this place, and you're given a speech for X amount of minutes or whatever. Uh, but my itinerary never says, you put one foot in front of the other, propelling yourself across the floor in a manner known as walking. You breathe in and out repeatedly so as not to be rendered unconscious. These are the kind of instructions that Biden gets because he's senile. I just wish, here's what I, here's the tragedy as far as I can tell. I wish that um, they had given him one of these cheat sheets when he was in Rome. You know, something that might have said, uh, you don't your pants in front of the Pope. I think he really needed that on a sheet of paper and it wasn't there. So that's really on his, it's his aide's fault for not keeping in mind, not keeping that in mind and not mentioning it. All right, let's get now to the comment section. Well, with Roe v. Wade coming to an end, finally, you may think that this means the fight is also coming to an end for for abortion against abortion. But uh, abortion legislation returning to the states means that the real battle is only just beginning. And there is no group in America better positioned than 40 Days for Life to help fight this battle. 40 Days for Life has one million volunteers throughout the country holding peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. Uh, You may be surprised to hear that their largest presence is actually in the country's bluest states, with California being their biggest state. And that's where they're going to be needed the most now with Roe v. Wade gone. Their vigils have closed many abortion facilities in America. Nearly half of those facilities were in liberal states where abortion will continue to remain legal after the fall of Roe. From San Francisco to Chicago to Seattle, hardly pro-life areas, of course, volunteers have guided abortion workers to have a change of heart and quit their jobs also. So as this issue gets out of D.C. finally, uh, 40 Days for Life is effectively changing hearts and minds in the grassroots of the pro-abortion movement. Check out their locations, podcasts, and new book, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion at 40daysforlife.com. All right, a little bit something different for the comment section. Instead of comments left by the Sweet Baby Gang, we're going to do a little bit of a Roe v. Wade-themed comment section um, because I'm not quite done gloating uh, and celebrating as we all should be. So here are some some tweets, not comments. None of these people left comments under my YouTube video, as much as I would love it if they did. We're going to go through some tweets from uh, prominent Democrats reacting to the Roe v. Wade news. We'll just cycle through them. I I haven't even seen these yet, but... Here's Barack Obama says, Today the Supreme Court not only reversed nearly 50 years of precedent, it relegated the most intensely personal decisions someone can make to the whims of politicians and ideologues attacking the essential freedoms of millions of Americans. And as always, when they talk about the essential freedoms of millions of Americans, uh, they are not talking, they are excluding all the Americans in the womb. And you would think, we want to talk about essential freedom, the, in, in the dictionary definition sense of the term essential, the most essential freedom is the freedom to live. But um, Barack Obama has no problem with throwing that out the window. Hillary Clinton is very upset. She says, most Americans believe the decision to have a child is one of the most sacred decisions there is, and that such decisions should remain between patients and their doctors. Today's Supreme Court opinion will live in infamy as a step backwards for women's rights and human rights. No, um, actually, the decision to have a child is not really one that you have with a doctor, okay? Unless you're having sex with your doctor and conceiving a child with him. But usually, by the time you go to the doctor, it's you. You already the the child already exists once again. 
The child is already there. So, so the decision to have a child, that's already out the window, okay? That window has closed by the time the child exists. You're, you already have the child in a very literal sense. Like the woman has the child in every sense of the term. Has the child inside her, in her body, which is a miraculous and beautiful thing, unless you're on the left. Nancy Pelosi once again says, Today the Republican-controlled Supreme Court has achieved the GOP's dark and extreme goal of ripping away women's rights to make their own reproductive health decisions. Okay, we've already heard from Nancy Pelosi. We got anybody else chiming in? Eric Swalwell. Okay, good. We, gotta, we, we have to include him here. He says, Extreme right-wing judges on the Supreme Court just issued a death warrant to women in America. They've decided that a piece of metal designed to end life is more valuable than the health and safety of women in America. If this doesn't motivate you to vote, nothing will. A death warrant? How so? How do we get from Roe v. Wade's overturned, uh, which means that the decision about making abortion legal or illegal falls to the states. So that's step one. Step two. And then step three, I'm not sure, it's left blank. Step four, women die. Death warrant. Uh, and, and by the way, if you read the decision, and I read a little bit of it to you, but I would really recommend that you go and read it. And if you, if you read it with an, with an honest mind, there is nothing remotely extreme happening in the decision. It is very logical. It, goes, it, it, it explains itself point by point. And once again, the decision does not mean that abortion is now illegal across the entire country. Although, that has to be the next step. And that's the other thing for pro-lifers is that, um, and I know I, I, I don't think I have to tell pro-lifers this because they've been in this fight for 50 years, but the fight's not over. And in fact, we, we cannot be, we should celebrate this and be happy for this great humanitarian victory, this great victory for human rights, but we should not be satisfied. Like celebrate today, pop the champagne, but then tomorrow it's back, back to work. Um, because although abortion now falls to the states, it's still going to be legal in many of those states. And the, the babies who are still going to die in California and Oregon and Vermont and you know, Maryland and New York, uh, those babies' lives matter. So we're still fighting for them. And the ultimate goal, yes, is to make abortion illegal across the entire country. A federal ban on abortion, a personhood amendment to the Bill of Rights, that's the ultimate goal. That's what we're fighting for. Well, did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and also lower productivity? And there's, not, there's a few things more important to your health than just getting a good night's sleep. And that, you know, there are some reports that say sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to reduced white blood cell count. White blood cells protect our body against illness and disease, fighting viruses, bacteria, and more. Not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is incredibly important. A better tomorrow starts than tonight, including Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is one of the world's most innovative functional wellness brands with unique products for everything from sleep to focus. And today, my listeners get a special discount available for a Beam's sleep product, Dream Powder. It's their best-selling hot cocoa. It contains premium ingredients, triple lab tested, and you wake up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality 
Just mix uh, Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir, and then you enjoy before bedtime. It's as simple as that. Also, Beam just launched a brand new delicious uh, new summer flavor of Dream Powder Sea Salt Caramel. Sea Salt Caramel Sea Salt Caramel Dream Powder tastes just like the caramel drizzle on your summer ice cream cone, but with only 15 calories. Better sleep has never tasted better or been healthier and better for you. Don't love it? Get your money back guarantee, but I think you will love it. For a limited time, get up to 35% off when you uh, go to beamorganics.com slash Walsh and use code Walsh at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Walsh and use code Walsh for up to 35% off. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, this daily cancellation ends up uh, working out pretty well because uh, given the news of the day, it's all about babies and uh, why babies are good and why you should have them. But it begins with, uh, not with Roe v. Wade, but with a writer for The Atlantic. As we know, writers for The Atlantic are not the most perceptive or insightful bunch as a rule. And that rule seems to hold true for Atlantic writer Olga Kazan, who tweeted recently, quote, I'm still curious how women are supposed to have kids before they're 35 if they make $40,000 a year before they're 35 and childcare is $40,000. Now, the tweet has resonated enough to earn nearly 80,000 likes, with lots of people in the comments chiming in to agree that it's essentially impossible for a woman to have kids under the age of 35 unless she earns substantially more than the average income for that age bracket. And yet, shockingly, it turns out that, um, you know, many women have done exactly this. In fact, through history, literally billions of women have. This is one of the curious features of modern American life, that people are constantly proclaiming it impossible to do the things which billions of other people have already done and are currently doing. So we can look around and see billions of people doing something and then say, bah, it's not possible. I can't. That's impossible. No one can do it except for these 10 billion people. This is because most of the time when we say that we um, cannot do something, the sentence is incomplete. We haven't really finished the thought. What we meant to say is that we cannot do said thing while still maintaining the comfort and luxury that we've come to expect and demand. Uh, we cannot do it easily. We cannot do it without effort. We cannot do it while um, staying true to our undying principle that we should never have to make any personal sacrifices of any kind. We cannot do it without getting off the couch, etc. One of these caveats, or similar to it, usually silently accompanies our declarations about what we cannot do. And that's certainly the case here. But Olga is not alone, far from it. As people put off having children more and more, putting it off so long that eventually it becomes a physical impossibility in reality to have kids, at least without the help of a petri dish and a science lab, the reason often given by by people who put it off is that it's not financially feasible to have kids. And this fear is encouraged by random fake statistics pulled out of thin air, like the statistic that childcare costs 40 grand a year. Um, Putting your kid in childcare, in daycare, says Olga, is as expensive as a really expensive private school. Now, fortunately, this is not remotely true. In fact, the most expensive, the most expensive state for daycare is Massachusetts on average. And there it costs an average of $20,000 a year uh, to get daycare, which is absurdly high, but it's half of Olga's estimate. But if you live in most other states, you're paying under 15. Uh, In many states, the average is under 10,000 a year. In a state like Mississippi, it's half that. Now, there are, of course, many other fictional horror stories about the cost of having children, many of them coming from alleged authority figures more prominent than Olga on Twitter. The USDA, for example, put out a report last year claiming that the average child costs $15,000 a year. And this means that a family of three, if you do the math, is forking over 45 grand a year just to keep their kids alive. 
I'm supposedly spending $60,000 a year just on my kids. That works out to um, about $270,000 per child to get them from age zero to age 18. And then if you have four kids, four or five of them, you know, like I do, then you're, you're, you're in the hole for a million plus. I mean, you got to be a millionaire to have kids. Now, admittedly, with, with Biden's inflation, it's starting to actually feel like you need to be a millionaire to afford groceries and gasoline, even just for yourself. But on average, assuming that hopefully the current trends don't hold for the next 18 years, um, these figures are nonsense. It is certainly possible, possible to spend 15 grand in a year on one child. I mean, you could do that. You could spend tr- triple that if you wanted to. Yet there's no law of nature requiring that kind of financial investment. If there was, then billions of people who have kids now and who've had them in the past would not have been able to survive. And yet they did, and they do. The consequence of this way of thinking, believing that you need to have massive amounts of money in the bank just to afford even one kid, is that, as mentioned, people put off starting families later and later. You know, we think that we should get through young adulthood, establish ourselves, build a life of some some sort, and then finally begin the process of finding spouses and becoming parents once we're safely ensconced in the protective cocoon of middle age. That's what we think. Speaking of finding a spouse, notice how Olga never accounts for marriage at all. It would cost a woman 40 grand a year for childcare, she says. But if you're doing it right, the cost, which definitely will not be 40 grand, is shared by a woman and a man together in the bond of marriage. We've been conditioned to see these things on an individualized basis. We think that, you know, a man should make a life for himself all alone, and then inject a wife and kids into this thing that's already been constructed without them. Like set it all up and then introduce the family. And this strategy leads to a lot of its own problems. The man will often begin to resent his family because they're intruding. This is not their life, it's his. He can't look to his wife and kids and say, well, they were here with with me when I had nothing. We were together from the beginning. We, We climbed to this point together. Rather, he looks at them and says, I built this on my own. I did all this on my, uh, by myself. I climbed without them. This is mine. They don't know anything about it, the freeloaders. I think this is probably what, one of the reasons why people who get married in their 30s have higher divorce rates. Because they've already established their own things and get very possessive of their own thing, their own life that they've made for themselves. Walking the bumpiest parts of the road together, struggling, sacrificing, suffering, going without together, this is what brings a family together. That's why, as I've always said, I think it's better to see marriage and family as the cornerstone of adult life rather than the capstone. In modern times, we tend to favor the capstone model. We say that a young adult should live through young adulthood by himself, save money, get all of his affairs in order, and then as the culmination, as the con- at the conclusion of this process, as he enters middle age, then he should commence with getting married and having kids. That way he'll be able to, quote-unquote, afford it. But the cornerstone approach, on the other hand, says that it's better to start your family at the beginning of the process, not at the end. Build your adult life with your spouse and children. Have them there at the foundation of it all. Bring them in on the ground floor, so to speak. This is how nearly every culture in the world has approached this issue until ours. We flipped this well-worn, battle-tested model on its head and tried it the reverse way, and it really doesn't seem to be working. The result has been higher divorce rates, lower marriage rates. People are less satisfied in in life, not as happy. Population, populations are declining. And to top it all off, the people who hold off on on having families for financial reasons 
very often discover, as mentioned, that they, 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 they never reach a point where they feel financially ready. Not at 25, not at 30, not at 35. They sit around waiting for the dollars and cents to add up while their biological clocks tick away until finally it'll cost them like $20,000 in an IVF clinic simply to conceive a child when they could have done it for free. And in a way that's a lot more fun, by the way, just a few years before that. This is supposed to be the financially conscious approach, which really doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. And that's why Olga at the Atlantic is today canceled. But even more than Olga at the Atlantic, as you might have already heard, Roe is canceled today too. As the Supreme Court, I think, has issued the greatest daily cancellation of all time. And we thank God for that. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the celebration. We'll leave it there for today. Talk to you on Monday. Stay safe. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. We all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in our hair. But if you have the same car you've been driving for years, you might not feel so great after a car breakdown, unless you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield is America's most trusted vehicle protection company, and for almost 20 years, they've helped Americans protect their out-of-warranty vehicles. From car and trucks to SUVs, a plan through CarShield can protect up to 5,000 parts and systems and save you big dollars on your engine, transmission, entertainment system, and more. It's as easy as going to carshield.com slash Shapiro. With plans that include unlimited miles, road trips have never been easier. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Call CarShield to speak with an expert here in the U.S. that can answer all your questions and get you a free quote in minutes. Don't wait another minute. Visit CarShield now before a breakdown happens and you get stuck with an expensive repair bill. Save 20% and get your free quote by going to carshield.com Shapiro now. That's carshield.com Shapiro to save 20% today.